For 11 seasons, she brought a dose of reality to the Crazy Brothers' lives as Roz on the award-winning sitcom Frasier. This time out, Perry Gilpin and I chatted up about memories with the cast, a reboot, and her hand-picked episode, Roz and the Schnoz. I'm Jerry Strauss, and this is The Laugh Track. Do you need your weekly comedy fix? Relax while we visit the sitcoms you love, the jokes you remember, the characters you will never forget, and the stars that bring them to you. Sit back. It's The Laugh Track with Jerry Strauss. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us this time out. This is The Laugh Track. I am Jerry Strauss, and this week on the show, uh, we're starting big. We're going all the way to the top of the food chain here in sitcom world because this is sitcom royalty right here. One of not only the most well-remembered, not only one of the uh, most successful and long-running sitcoms of all time, but uh, also I'd have to say perhaps the classiest sitcom of all time in so many ways. And we've got one of those folks who uh, joined us for all those years on this show with us on the line right now, Perry Gilpin, how are you? I'm great, thank you, Jerry. How are you? Oh, I'm good. <laughs> so, I, I think I you sound good. <laughs> you too. It's great to connect <laughs> with you. I'm so honored that you're that you're on the show, um, and I'm so honored that you're willing to come on here, and we're going to talk about a great memorable episode from a great memorable sitcom in Frasier. And it's so weird to me because I didn't even realize till we planned to do this, that Frasier is available in its entirety on Netflix. So there are so many people out there who are bitch watching this thing. Uh, even today, I have to believe. So it's really cool. We are, we could speak to a whole new generation of Frasier fans. I, I get that feeling. I definitely get that feeling from social media, from Twitter and Instagram. I kind of don't, I don't do anything else, but I, I, I get the feeling that there are, a, a, there's a whole new generation listening and watching the show and they have a lot of curiosity about it because to them, it's kind of, I'm well, I mean, you know, it's like Friends, it's from the same era, but it's very different from Friends. But it's a whole sitcom thing where it's all shot on a soundstage and it's not single camera like The Office or, right. or other shows that I think, uh, I know my kids are 15 and I know what they watch. And um, I think kids are a little older than that when they find Frasier and, and really start to, uh, you know, they, who knows? At first, it's probably like an archaeological dig, you know, and then and then they 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 <laughs> fall, they get they connect to something in it, you know. It's uh, it's more obviously more of a sophisticated show as far as a lot of the discussion, a lot of the references that are made throughout the show. Um, they certainly, it's a show as you know that certainly doesn't talk down to people. And I was thinking about this today. I wonder what that social media would be like if this were an era where Frasier were out in original new episodes each and every week. I feel like there would almost be like an organic kind of uh, like a DVD commentary type of situation where people would be discussing the references and try to break down these Easter eggs that are actually artistic and cultural references throughout the show. 
Um, I feel like that would be that second level of discussion about it while it was going on and afterwards. Do you think, do you think that would have benefited the show? Yeah, those are going on now. Yeah? Those seem to be going on now. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yes, I I don't, I I see them. I don't really get involved in it because half the time, you know, I, I, I'd rather, I'd rather hear what other people have to say about it in those situations, you know, because it's so fun to see what people, you know, pick up from your show or pick up from the show that you worked on. And it's just interesting because everyone, you know, people will really take a scene and dissect it and, 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 and get into it. And that just to see that it has that kind of depth for the audience is amazing. It's wonderful. And that's what we're here for, too. We're going to break down uh, your selected episode. Your, what are your favorites? Uh, but before we get to that, just let's do a quick uh, do a quick rundown a little bit, an elevator pitch, if you will, of your arrival onto this show. Because I have to believe that just the idea of Frasier, when it was coming together, uh, you know, in casting, auditions, and just the idea of creating this show before it actually came out into the world, it had to have been a hot property uh, on a professional level to try to be involved in a show of this pedigree. Was that something that you felt in your path to becoming a part of the show? Well, you know, it, it, was, it was on the heels of Cheers, right? So, you know, we'd all loved Cheers for years, and Wings was on at Paramount. I was on two other shows at Paramount in the two years preceding Frasier. And I kind of, I, I, the show that I was on, the shows that I was on were Jimmy Burroughs was a producer in the Charles Brothers and a really wonderful woman named Fran McConnell, who's actually a descendant of Pitcan Island. But anyway, so she, they, I had been around and, you know, there were a lot of great shows on it, sitcoms were, there were 30 you know, a week, there were so many, it was, it was kind of what they did then. And so when Cheers was ending, I wound up getting to do the fourth to the last episode called Woody gets an election. I played a reporter that goes and interviews Woody and helps him get elected to city council. And I was around that set a lot because the casting director, Jeff Greenberg was also cast Cheers, but he he also cast the shows that I was on. And so I would go over and watch Cheers, and I was a huge fan. And um, I'd even, you know, gone to network for Wings, and I auditioned on the Cheers set, you know, with, you know, with a like a bar rag. <laughs> you know, I was a huge, huge fan of Cheers. And went so Frasier was just a very natural, you know, segue. It was an act. It was an, It was just very natural to go to Frasier from Cheers. It was a great idea. Everybody was hated saying goodbye to Cheers. So it was great because it made everybody feel great that there was going to be something to watch. It was very organic and authentic. And then, you know, it was just a great, great, great script that stayed that way. You know, it didn't get watered down or it didn't, you know, it just kept getting better. And so I was just like, we were all really honestly thrilled. And we talked about this a lot to be on something we were so proud of that we loved the script for. 
and then you know what all everything else was just kind of icing on the cake that it was so that it became so popular and that people liked it so much and to also be so proud of it was just it's not exactly what you expected from that kind of job you know we were just super thrilled and we you know we used to say things like the script was every week it was like getting you know, a, a gift, a present, a <laughs> Christmas present, because you just couldn't wait to read them. They were great, and and I think a lot of it was because everybody involved had so many years of experience, especially, you know, the writers and creators of the show. They just all had years and years of experience and knew what worked, knew how to make things that were hard to make work work, you know, yeah. And they yeah. and they kept it they just kept it tight and you know it was just a five character show and there were a lot of characters that came in and out that are beloved but I think keeping it small like that kind of helped them you know be you know we have six page scenes in the living room you know which you're, are just unheard of now we'd have like scene A B C and H you know four or five scenes. Now you, you shoot a sitcom and, you know, it goes from A to Z. There could easily be, you know, 30 scenes because right. you've got two-page scenes, you know. Yeah. And um, so it, it was very – it was a different animal. And I think it was even kind of different for the time. I think maybe in Cheers they'd have a six-page scene at the bar, but it would include maybe more than two characters. But you, you could literally have a scene between Frazier and his father in the living room for six pages and everyone would be perfectly happy with that. That was unusual, you know? And, and, and as somebody who hasn't watched the show in a while, this episode we're about to talk about, it definitely struck me exactly for those reasons, because besides the very opening scene of the episode, which takes place in the coffee shop, everything else takes place in the apartment. And, and, and for one moment in the hallway outside of the apartment, but we're not going very far because we don't need to. It was such a, uh, I mean, it really felt like a theater production and a really good theater production. I think that was the feel of the show in general, is that sort of the the vibe that you guys had as the performers putting the show on each week? Definitely. And I think the writers and the creators of the show were all definitely theater lovers with you know, theater in their background, also a lot of television in their background. And I just feel like they took advantage. They they just knew how to take advantage of this live audience. We had this fabulous live audience. I mean, the point was to still get it on film, right? But they really knew how to use the, all the good stuff that comes from having a live audience, which is, you know, an immediate reaction, a real reaction and people, you know, sometimes a deafening silence is as meaningful as a burst of laughter, you know, especially if you've got this living, breathing audience with you, you know, they're, they're like the missing piece all week. And then you get to run out there and do the show in front of them and things come alive. And a lot of times, you know, the writers will say, let's, let's change this line. Let's, let's, it didn't work as well as we wanted, but sometimes they just change it because they just got a great idea. You know, and they're like, okay, that worked really well, but let's do this too. And then that one would work or, or it wouldn't work as well. But it, it was, it was like it, they, it became 
it was so fun when things were going really well to it's not interacting with the audience. It's keeping the fourth wall, but it's taking advantage, I guess is the best word of, of them being there, you know? And so I think they really did. It felt theatrical, but it also felt like, I mean, it was a beautifully filmed show. I've, I've seen them on the big screen at different, and my husband is making the funniest noise with the dog. Um, he, my, the uh, I've seen them on like the like you know on a film screen, mm-hmm. and they they look great. Yeah. You know, so it's a great um, it's a great combination of of theater and we you know we were the last show or I know we were the last show at Paramount on film, but just just you know celluloid. It was just a great combination of both of those things and. At one point, Mercedes Rule, when she was on the show, she's like, "What do you, what do you do? Do you, what do you do? Do you do it for the audience or do you do it for the cameras?" And you know that was really early, in maybe in the first season, and it got us all talking about it. You know how important it was to figure that out, and mm-hmm. a lot it just it often depended on the scene, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and I think I think a concept that you're touching on is something that I really thought a lot about while watching this episode, Uh, kind of sharing that energy, kind of the energy of the laughter of the audience and then, you know, what you guys are giving and then getting from them and it just becoming this thing that kind of you can feel all the way at home. And I think this episode in particular, you could certainly feel that. So I think we should, we should get into it because this is a pretty special episode. Of course, as we said, uh, you, could check this out on netflix this is uh episode number 21 from season number five and it is called raz and the schnoz and we should probably explain to those who somehow have never seen fraser before that you in fact are raz that is your character how why don't you give us a, an elevator pitch a one or two sentence description of raz what is her role on the show who is raz Well, Frazier's life is at, he's he's left the bar at Cheers and he's he's moved home to Seattle where he's from, and he wants to sort of start a new life after a divorce, and he's leaving behind all of his really great buddies uh, at in in Boston where he frequented Cheers the bar a lot, but also they were basically his family. And so now he's in Seattle. He's got a radio show. He's living in a beautiful new apartment. He's starting over. And two, th- two huge things happen. One, he's got this radio job, and I'm the producer on his radio show. And I've been around a long time <laughs> in the radio station and in other ways. And I am um, – a very good producer. I'm very, I know exactly what I'm doing in the radio station, unlike Frazier. And then the other thing that happens is that his father has been shot in the line of duty as a police officer in Seattle. He's retired and he can't live alone anymore. And Frazier's decided to ask his dad to live with him. So in the pilot, you meet, you see that Frazier's in his new job. And then you you see that Fraser's dad is living with him at his uh, 
you know, really CC apartment and his dad's not a CC guy and his dad has a, a, a home healthcare worker in need, because he needs one. And so she moved in with them and that's Jane leaves. who plays Daphne and she's British and she's a little bit psychic and she's, you know, very, very, very down to earth, but, but crazy. And then Frazier, you also meet Frazier's brother who's even more like Frazier than Frazier is, and, right. um, who's also a psychiatrist. And their difference is that, you know, Frazier is, you know, uh, Freudian and Niles Crane is Jungian. And so they, you know, but they're very much alike in every other way. They love opera. They love wine. They love sherry. And uh, Niles is also married to a woman that, we never actually see because she is so light and she weighs so little that she doesn't even leave footprints in the snow. <laughs> so they all got a little carried away with that one. So they couldn't cast that, but it was, um, but it, so, so you, so I'm, so you've got a situation where Frazier is starting over. He's excited. He's giving advice on the phone. He's very seriously helped helping people he's good at it he can't wait to do it but he's a novice in the radio station and so you know I'm kind of pushing him around and trying to help him get better at what he's doing but at the same time he is very much uh, the kind of man that I have not met a lot in my life you know he's sensitive he's deep he's you know he's kind and he is very quickly becomes like a a very good friend. He is my boss, but I know more about what he does than he does. So, you know, that doesn't come into play much, but at the same time, he, he, he is very much my, I guess I want to say like a mentor because he knows so much more about life. He gives great advice. You know, so it's also hilarious when he calls me because he has no idea what to say on a date, you know, <laughs> and, and so we're, I, I think the great thing about, another great thing about Fraser is, you know, you set up strong characters and a lot of times when people behave out of character, it's just as good as when they're, you know, in character. Mm-hmm. But so, so that's, I'd say that's it. So the, the thing, the thing about Roz and the Schnoz is that, for leading up to this, Roz has been extremely. Uh, she's very active sexually. She's she she has a she she has her her own life, and she makes no apologies about what she does with it. But she's she's become pregnant, and then you find out that she got pregnant with a very young guy who's twenty, who was got about to go off on his junior year abroad. And so she decides she would like to have this baby, and she arranges with her, her this, this guy she's been dating that he go to college and he continue his life, and she will raise the baby by herself, and that's what she wants to do. And he agrees and goes off to Europe. But in the meantime, his parents call her and want to meet her, and she doesn't she's not sure about that. And it's very like I, the, what's not typical in this episode is that, you know, Frazier is browbeating her into doing this because he can see both sides and he knows best. And I think she knows that. 
but she's thinking her, her gut reaction to them calling her is, you know, they're going to meddle. They're going to want to be the grandparents. I'm going to have to answer to these people. This isn't what I had in mind. Right. You know, and she's not really thinking it through. She's emotional and she just is getting to this place and she just hasn't dealt with this yet. And Fraser just really kind of puts his foot down, you know, and says, you, you know, you need to do this for a lot of reasons, you know, and then, and then there's also this whole great setup about Niles and Fraser going to a dog show that this was like in the, um, <laughs> you know, so, so there, he, Fraser's, Niles has begged Fraser to attend this dog show with him. So there's that whole conversation is going on. Right. And I you thought know, and that was, the other great story. I, I thought that was actually an interesting <laughs> bit of a, of, almost like a misdirection, if you will, because that's how the episode starts, is Niles and Frazier having this conversation where Niles is kind of cajoling him into coming with him to this dog show. And the episode turns out not to really be about the dog show at all. It's really just another excuse for this very well-orchestrated, almost choreographed in a way, um, sort of the entrances of everybody to come together to Frazier's apartment at the same time that uh, that the parents uh, that are coming over to meet you are going to be there. And, you know, everything just kind of ties together really beautifully. But that's, as you said, that that was the big conversation that started it all and was going to get Niles to be a part of this situation at this night is they were supposed to go to the dog show. Right, right. Which is, uh, at the time, was, you know, at the time, it, I, I think there was... For some reason, I think the dog shows were probably best in show or there was like that was something like very immediate in everyone's mind and how funny it would be to see them there. That would be actually perfect to see the two of them there. The only thing missing would be their dog, you know, and so (laughs) it, so it it was it was a great idea, you know, image in your mind to imagine the two of them going to that. And um, and then also Frazier had given Daphne this he was just at like CVS, you know, and saw these earrings like at the drugstore and thought she'd like them. And so he, he just brought them to her just as a little token, a gesture. And she, it, she, she thinks he's remembered her. I don't know how many years, like maybe fifth year anniversary there. That's and what he's it was. Given her sap, real sapphires, five years. Yeah. So yeah. he's like, so she runs with it, and he can't. He can't say no. They're just, they're just little baubles from the gr- drugstore. So he lets her believe that they're very expensive sapphire earrings to and celebrate he, her five years with them. That's beautifully written too, but, because every time that he goes to try to say something, she just keeps upping the ante in her own mind. He goes to tell her, and then she says, "Oh my God, this must be for my five-year anniversary. I can't believe you remembered." And then he goes to tell her again, and she starts talking about how nobody's ever bought her anything like this. It's the best gift she's ever gotten in her whole life. And it just be, the stakes become too high for, for him to, to let her down in that moment. I know, I know. And also, I just think in the time, and, and it is beautifully written, and um, he just can't, he can't burst her bubble. But I also think it's sort of a, an interesting study of her, like, you know, what happens when, when people, you know, don't know the difference between something very fine 
in something that's not as fine and it and how it doesn't matter at all it's about the spirit in which it's given you know it sort of proves that point in a lot of ways but it's also that whole idea of the kind of the class questions that run through Fraser a lot you know which made so much sense at the time but you know just sort of like what do you do when somebody doesn't know the difference you know you don't want to tell them because it might embarrass them too on top of everything else it could have really maybe embarrassed her and he didn't want to do that. He wanted to give her a gift. Right. So it's just really, it's so sweet. It's just the sweetest thing in the world, which is very much always kind of, I mean, to me, there's always a real, um, you know, there's always a little light brushstroke of that in those scripts there. There's a kindness, you know, underlying most things, (laughs) you know, it's never meant to hurt anybody. No. You know, and, and, not and, and, that and, and, any other shows. You know, there, oh, there's and, always, you know, well, I don't know that there's a lot of shows that are meant to hurt people, but a lot of times humor comes from, you know, a mean, kind of a mean place. And uh, I don't think it ever does in Frasier except when someone's real mad, which happens a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people get really mad. Sure. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that's a storyline that we kind of see come to fruition at the end. Um, something you mentioned earlier, I thought was was a really great comment was the idea that the writers of Frasier can often take something that seems almost ridiculous, seems like not necessarily the best idea for a show, but they can they can execute it in such a way that it becomes genius. And I think sort of the crux comedically of this show is a great example because in different hands, this might just be a really bad Saturday Night Live skit, but instead it becomes probably one of the funniest uh, extended pieces of of business that we've ever seen on Frasier in, in a very obvious, physical, high energy kind of way. And we're talking, of course, about Rick's parents and when they show up, um, you know, it, it's it's all in the title of the episode, Roz and the Schnoz, maybe Schnozes would have been a more correct term, but uh, what a bit of physical comedy would we see what they look like? Well, that is the, that's what's crazy. <laughs> it's so, because, you know, usually... I think Frazier would have, you know, everybody involved would have stayed away from any kind of uh, appliances like that. You know, that's so theatrical and so hard to pull off, you know, on film, especially in a close-up. Not that sitcoms get as close as movies, but you know what I mean. So it was just all week long they were playing with how big it should be and, you know, how, how, you know, how real it should look and, all those things, you know, and um, I'm trying to find their names. It's Kevin and his, they're, they're married. That couple are married. Oh, um, yeah. And in real they life, they're hilarious. married. Yeah. They're, real, they're married in real life. Wow. And um, we, had, we had all gone to see her in Three Tall Women, and he was uh, on Broadway, and he, he was in a show around the corner called Almost Perfect. And um, 
anyway, so the thing that was just so funny was for them to, you know, it was such a, it was, it was such a challenge to, um, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. I have to just see one thing. <laughs> We're Googling. Okay. It, it was Kevin Kilner and Jordan Baker. Okay. Kevin Kilner and Jordan Baker, Kevin and Jordan. And also the the woman that played Amy, the woman that played the waitress, Amy Landers was like my niece basically. And she was my assistant. And so she, she came to work with me that day. So not too long after that, I had to like say, Amy, I don't think you can be my assistant anymore because you're working. You're at work. You have a job. Right. <laughs> it was right. very funny because she, um, and, and she, she, I dated her uncle for a very long time. And it was just, I just was watching that today and I saw her and I'm like, Oh my God. And I barely even look at her when I'm talking. Cause I knew I would just crack up if I turned around and looked at her, you know? So, um, because so, she played the waitress and things. So it's Kevin Kilner and Jordan Baker were amazing. And just the whole week became about how how far to go with it. You know, how how far can we go with it? And we had Ken Levine directing. And Ken Levine and David Isaacs were writers that wrote on um, every great show you've ever seen, including they ran Cheers. And um, they wrote on Wings, and they they have an amazing background. They had their own shows, and Ken was directing this, and it it just brought uh, an even sillier kind of um, adventurous aspect to it because it was it was really a different kind of episode for for the the reasons we're talking about, like you know the whole thing took place in the living room. You have this bizarre theatrical device of the huge noses. And, you know, also is that what I loved about the way they played it was you couldn't tell if they knew they had big noses or not. Right. Or if they didn't care if they had big noses, if they, or if they really just loved their big noses, you know what I mean? Like you, you couldn't <laughs> tell how they felt about it. <laughs> they didn't comment on it at all, which was genius, you know. And then, and then, then it just kind of I, I, the the last scene is just a little scene with with Roz and Daphne, and it's one of my favorite scenes I've ever did on Fraser because she just it she just gets in touch with what she's doing, which is having a baby, yeah. and all the fear, you know all the things you feel when you're about to have a, when you're about to start a family, like just all, it all hits her pretty hard. But then she finds this picture of herself and it was really funny because I, you know, then, you know, Daphne looks at her over the shoulder and said, who's that little girl, you know, with the big ears. And I'm like, me, that's me the year before I, you know, got my ears fixed, you know, and, and then also then I mentioned my lazy eye and, and, um, and that was very funny because there was someone on the set with a lazy eye. Oh my. It made everyone die laughing when we read it in the script, but it was also like, you know, and then, and then there was, it, it was also like, it got very much about the family of the show because there was also someone in very close to us with a third nipple 
And I say that in there too. I say, well, I'll just add it, you know, if the, my kid's born with a third nipple, maybe I can just, you know, sell tickets, you know, and it, it just took all the fear of having a baby. And then Daphne says this great line where she, instead of saying, yeah, you should be really afraid or, or here's what you do to keep that from happening. She, she said, everybody gets teased and it's part of growing up and it's what you have to learn to deal with. And it was, it was just this great advice that was realistic and, yeah. and true, you know, and what, and, what and I, I, and what I actually, I'm sorry. What, what I liked about the scene as well is that it felt like a little bit earlier in the, in the show, there was a point where you had commented, you had said something to Frazier about the size of their noses and the fact that I forget what the joke was, but basically that your baby was going to have a giant nose and it came off from there. You kind of expect it almost to be just sort of a superficial comment like, oh, no, like my baby is going to have a giant nose because of the father of the baby. But really, the bigger issue that I think Roz was having there was more about her own her own uh, worries about what she was going to do to the baby, what she was bringing to the table negatively that was going to affect the baby. And maybe it was about her lazy eye and maybe it was about her ears, but maybe it was just tied in even more to all those fears, like you say, that mothers have when they're about to have kids. And I don't want to screw this up. Yeah, that, that is what, you know, which was just such a, it all, it was just, you know, as a, you know, you feel like, you feel very attached to these people you play for all those years. You know what I mean? And it was, I was just always blown away by how the writers found ways to express their affection for these characters, you know? And, and I felt like that was a great example. Like they, they really showed what a human being Roz was but also how they all were everyone circled the wagons on that one and 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 the couple was fine with it and it was it was exactly what she needed to to move even though she didn't know it she tried to run away from it it was exactly what she needed to go forward and to do a good job yeah absolutely and it was a great like you said it was a great sweet emotional way to kind of wrap the episode up I would say that we'd also be remiss if we don't just back up a little bit and talk about that extended, uh, the extended part of the episode, which is basically everybody <laughs> seeing these noses for the first time. When because... someone says schnauzer. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it felt like the, these are jokes. I mean, these are fine jokes. There is a lot of nose jokes, people making nose puns, whether intentionally or not people cracking up um you know to me the highlight was Frazier chastising everybody for laughing at these people then cracking up himself going to the kitchen and then coming back and quoting their joke as the reason he as the reason he laughed he uh he had an excuse ready so he saved himself there but it really felt to me like one of those moments and you have to tell us because you were there where you guys were laughing and you were creating this atmosphere of uncontrollable laughter. The audience was laughing, and it felt like everything just kind of fed into each other. Um, did it feel like that? Like there was a little loss of control uh, during these laughing sequences? 
Well, for sure. And what had happened was just the technical thing that happened was that we all knew and had been for a few years to laugh during the week during rehearsal because, you know, that way you just get it out, you get your giggles out or whatever, and then you're able to play the scene. So just if you, you know, laugh all week at it and then in front of the audience, don't laugh at it, you know, but Jordan and Kevin both were being, you know, they're trying, they only had a week, a week to find these people and to five days, you know, to figure out who these people are and, and how to make it the best they can. And so they're not laughing at anything because, you know, they're not joking around. They're just there for such a short amount of time. And, you know, and so when we finally got on stage and someone, you can see her, she's just, Jordan is just, she goes, she says something about a schnauzer and just starts laughing. She can't help it. But everybody was at that point. Everybody was. And I, I think we would have been there for two days. I think we finally just had to move, keep going because we were never not going to laugh during, I mean, everyone was laughing on the set. And so, of course, you know, what's better than that? There's nothing better than that. And it was just so great because it was real laughter, you know, and I love it when not only does he save himself with repeating the joke, but what makes him laugh with both of them. I always, I got so surprised by the both of them leaning over that pie, smelling the pie and saying, no, you're nosy. I mean, they, they extend that for so long. It's ridiculous. It's so funny. And then my other favorite, of course, is John saying, you know, did Japan, did Japan, you know, they, you know, what, what is the setup? Something like, I don't know about Japan. I can't remember why he says Japan, but it's very funny. It's worth oh, watching. Yeah, it's, it's just so, it's so ripe with nose jokes. If you ever need a, a resource for nose jokes, just watch this episode. You're going to pick up about a dozen of them, but um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it struck me. But at the just, same time, because that, that, because, you know, because nose jokes are so, you know, that's, there's nothing new about noses and nose jokes and things like that. You know, there's nothing new about that, but it's, right. that's why it's so great to just get, do a deep dive <laughs> into <laughs> it and just not, don't leave one stone unturned, just keep doing, all, do all of them. You know, that's another and, thing that part of it that's so funny. And the the other thing that's unique about it, and I was thinking about this while watching it, usually in a sitcom, you don't see a lot of laughter. Usually uh, you'll see, you know, the characters will crack the joke, but the audience, it's their role to laugh. The the characters just kind of walk around as if nothing else happened. They don't usually sell for the jokes like that. So for this show in particular, that has such an air of kind of sophistication about it much of the time, and you're just seeing everybody lose it and crack up about these nose jokes. It's you know it's real. You feel it's real, and you just—it's it, absolutely uh, contagious comedy. So it was—I uh, feel like it was a real accomplishment to bring something different, different element to that, just to the whole episode. It's got this really great classic, unique feel to it. I, I think so too. Is there any other? And, and also... Oh, I'm sorry. Is there is there any other aspect? I feel like we skipped around because there's so much good stuff on this episode. Um, and of course, you know, eventually, as you said, Daphne does discover 
uh, on the on the side here that that the earrings are fake. She loses one. She realizes that it kind of just fell apart, <laughs> and uh, she uh, comes during that conversation with you to admit that she does recognize the fact that even though it was fake, the gesture was very sweet. So um, I think on the, on that side of the the plot as well. Um, it's kind of a, a happy ending for all. Yes, yes, because she sees it so clearly. You know, she sees what happened, and and she realizes, you know, that I love that she says, "Would I rather get a, a gift for him? Remember, or, or or am I am I really? All he did was just get me a gift because he thought of me when he saw something. That's just as good, you know. There's no, it's just as good." To be to to you know have someone like that in your life or for that to be your employer or or whatever you know, but I also there's another really funny little like you know G story which is John trying to go to San Francisco so he can go party with his you know ex police officer buddies you know all the guys that are retired his retired police buddies and they go. And he, they said he came home early because he said that they were walking around City Square, City Park, or you know, City Hall. And there was, um, you know, a, a bunch of people. It was a huge group. So they stopped to find out what was going on. And then suddenly all the men kissed the other men and all the women kissed the other women. People <laughs> threw rice. And he's not sure, but he and Duke might be married. <laughs> That's the best line ever. I loved it. I loved that line. Yeah, and there was that moment earlier in the episode where he talks about how uh, something like Frisco is just a great place for single guys to like ride around and get some action or something like that. And Frazier, <laughs> yeah, Frazier yeah, has yeah. the look of like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's still the case. But everybody kind of realizes <laughs> what he's walking into except for him. So it, it's funny to see those results. And it, it causes him to actually leave San Francisco and come back early. So... <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> but uh yeah, well, I, mean, I think he I think I think really they're they were older guys that, you know, it just wasn't as much fun to walk. He said, you know, our the the the, the bar was a sushi restaurant. You know, it become very sophisticated since they used to go up there. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So the the scene was, had changed. <laughs> the scene had definitely changed. So, yeah, I mean, a, a great episode. I'm so glad that you picked this one because not only do I think it's a standout episode, but it, it kind of does cover a lot of ground as far as a jumping on point for the show. Even though it's in the fifth season, it's basically midway through the series. Uh, you get a little bit of everybody uh, on the show, as you do in most episodes, because as you said, it's a small cast and um, we really got to know these characters so well over the years, including Roz. So I'm glad that you picked one that was a, a strong one for Roz as well. Yeah. Well, those were the most fun for me to do, for sure. But I like doing all of them. I mean, we liked watching you, and I'm sure that so many people are continuing to like watching you. And, I mean, it's just mind-blowing that all those years of Frasier – people are probably finding it right now and blowing through them in about three or four days. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that funny? It's, a, it's funny. 
my kids never, you know, they all, they, they, they plan everything they watch. You know what I mean? They, they decide to watch a couple of these or a couple of those, you know, you know what I mean? It's just so interesting. It's so different. Watching television is so different than the way things were when we made Frasier. Yeah. Yeah. But it's still, but, a but it, they, they're nice to watch back to back. You know what I mean? They really, it really is. It works to watch them back to back. Yeah. I could see, uh, I could see people totally getting kind of immersed in the, it, just in the show and that environment and just, you know, the episodes bleeding one into the other as they just continue to say one more, one more. And out it goes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I remember when, well, when I was a kid, I, I loved the Dick Van Dyke show, but it was it was on in the afternoon, you know, in syndication. It, I, I didn't watch TV. I wasn't old enough to watch TV when it was in prime time, but I absolutely loved that show. And I knew it was an older show when I was watching it, but it was my it was my favorite show all my life. And then, like later years later, when I moved to LA, and it was on, like I don't know if you remember Nick at Night, you know, I'd, sure. And I sure. I could not, I couldn't sleep until it came on i mean i had I, I weighed through shows i didn't like as much but as soon as dick van dyke came on i would watch the first few minutes and then fall asleep just happily and that was the only thing that i could fall asleep to and so all a lot of times people will come up to me and say i'm your show helps me sleep you know and then they're worried that i'm going to take it wrong or something and i'm like no i know exactly what you mean it's like it's like comfort food it's like now you can sleep because, you know, you, I don't know, it just helps you sleep to, to be with people that you feel comfortable with, I guess. Absolutely. You I know, think that's, it's, a compliment. it's a compliment. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of people have come to come to look at Frasier um, for is that comfort of the characters that they know, that they love, yourself included. So, um, you know, again, if you guys haven't checked out Frasier, and I know you guys are all fans of great sitcoms because that's what we talk about on this show, uh, you need to do so. And they're all on Netflix, as we said, so please uh, sample, enjoy, watch them all. Um, Perry, it's so great to talk to you, and it was so great to break down this episode with you. Um, is there anything that you want to point people to uh, that you have going on now, whether it's projects, social media, um, what part of your world would you like to invite people in? Uh, oh, well, um, what, I'm so not prepared for that. I'm sorry. That was a little um, creepy the way I, the way I phrased it. <laughs> you don't actually have to invite no. anyone in or, you know, that would be weird. But. <laughs> Stay out. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, no, I'm, I'm working on different things and, um, I, on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, but more than anything, I'm, you know, I'm just thank you for asking all these things about Frasier because it's really fun to talk about. Cool. cool. <laughs> well, look, and, and... I don't know what to say. No, it's okay. Listen, down the road, um, put your thinking hat on now because down the road, perhaps maybe you're your second favorite episode of Frasier. We could go back down the, the Frasier rabbit hole. I'd love to, uh, I'd love to do that and have you back on at some point, but um, it's been great. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jerry. It's been great talking to you too.
And thank you guys on the laugh track. We'll see you next time.